Turkey Call All Access, the official podcast of the National Wild Turkey Federation. Brought to you by Nomad. Turkey Call All Access is a digital campfire where we discuss topics of the day, conservation efforts, tips and techniques to better your experience afield, and our members' stories. Welcome back to another episode of the Turkey Call All Access podcast. And this week, we are talking all about firearm safety. Whether you have kids in the house, you're introducing a new hunter um, to firearm safety, or you're just needing a refresh, I think you're going to find this conversation very useful. Get right into that in 90 seconds. Bass Pro Shops and the National Wild Turkey Federation stand together to help make a difference for the wildlife and scenic lands that enrich our hunting lifestyle. Since 1973, we have positively impacted more than 22 million acres and invested more than $9 million into wild turkey research, an effort supported by Bass Pro Shops. The restoration of the wild turkey is one of America's greatest conservation success stories, but the work is far from over. Through the continued contributions of partners like Johnny Morris and Bass Pro Shops, the NWTF mission is a movement that is delivering the right conservation work at the right place, and at the right scale. Hey guys, this is Aaron with The Hunting Public. Each spring we head to the woods chasing turkeys, and one overlooked product that we use religiously is Sawyer permethrin. We've used it for years to keep ticks off of us, and it's worked extremely well. We don't like messing around with Lyme disease, Rocky Mountain spotted fever, anything like that. So I would highly recommend, if you're a spring turkey hunter, spending any time in warmer climates in the outdoors to use Sawyer permethrin. Learn about their advanced insect repellents and family of technical lightweight water filters at Sawyer.com. Hey y'all, I'm Jason Hart, founder of Nomad Hunting Clothing. At Nomad, we're bringing simplicity and authenticity back to hunting. Whether you hunt to escape your hectic work life, for locally sourced organic meat, or to socialize with friends, to uphold your favorite family traditions, we're with you and we do the same. At Nomad, we understand your gears and investments, so our products are engineered and priced for every hunter, tested in the real world, and designed to last. Hunting is in all of us. Nomad is with you. Um, welcome back to the Turkey Call All Access Podcast. We're here with Joe Bartosi of the National Shooting Sports Foundation and our own Jared McJunkin, who you guys have heard before. Um, and we're talking about firearm safety, um, Project Child Safe, Hunt Safe, um, a number of these different um, initiatives that uh, we support. And, um, you know, it's hunting season. Everybody's in the field, you know, maybe you're taking your kids out for the first time this year. um, And we're just wanted to talk about firearm safety and some really practical tips on getting new hunters um, into the field safely, um, how to store your firearms safely at home, all of that stuff. But before we get into that, um, just want to go around the horn, introduce everyone. So um, Joe, Jared, if you could give people uh, just who you are, um, and maybe a fun fact about yourself. Uh, we can start off with Joe. Oh, good morning uh, again. Thanks for having me on the podcast. I'm Joe Bartosi. I'm the president and CEO of the National Shooting Sports Foundation. I've uh, been there about five years. Fun fact: uh, I actually worked for uh, Mossberg Firearms for 32 years prior to going to NSSF, and uh, we were a very big supporter then as now of NWTF. Um, and uh, got a lot of great 
turkey hunting in uh, over the years, and it's a great a great sport, uh, great pastime. And um, again, I appreciate the opportunity to speak on these topics today. Absolutely. Well, my name is Jared McJunkin, as Gilbert said, and Joe, first of all, welcome and thanks for the partnership. I know you guys have been around and, and have been doing this for a long time with us and been ac- accomplished a lot together. Um, I'm the director of conservation operations for the National Wild Turkey Federation. I cover 14 states, kind of through the center of the country up to Ohio, down to Texas and up to North Dakota. So um, I oversee our staff in that area, basically focused on uh, delivering conservation. And uh, obviously the other half of our mission is is very important too. So working on hunting heritage. Uh, Fun fact, I am primarily a bow hunter. So, uh, but but I've obviously used firearms and um, a big proponent of them and raising some kids with firearms in the house. So hopefully I can add something to the conversation. Yeah. And that's, uh, you know, I know Jared has kids. I have a five-year-old. Did you, uh, you have kids, Joe? Yeah. Three grown kids uh, and five grandkids. So the issue of firearm safety in the home repeats itself right over the next generation. Uh, Mm -hmm. So uh, it's something that is personal to me as it is to you folks. And a lot of people I'm sure listening here will have the same experience that how how do we balance our, whether it be a firearm collection, collection of firearms for, for hunting, target shooting, whatever, how do we balance that with raising a family and doing it safely and appropriately? So um, I have a lot of, a lot of years of experience on that that we can talk about. Yeah, and I think that's a great segue into um, one of the first topics we wanted to hit, which is Project Child Safe. Can you just tell people what is Project Child Safe? Um, what is that about? How did it How did it come about? Um, and maybe we can talk about how we started partnering with you all on that. Yeah, Project Child Safe started in 1999. It was originally called Project Home Safe back in the earliest days, and the idea was to create. Um, an educational model that is transferable to other organizations, other locations, other cities around the country um, for secure storage of farms when they're not being used. So it's very heavy on education, but it also comes with every safety kit comes with a lock. So you can learn from the written materials or the online videos and online sources that we have. But then you can actually apply the lesson immediately with the free gun lock. And, again, we'll be celebrating our 25th anniversary next year. Uh, And to date, we've given out uh, 40 million firearm safety kits, including gun locks, in all 50 states, in in the five U.S. territories. And we generally partner with law enforcement uh, to distribute the locks because we, during our, our phasing of this event, of this program, we identified law enforcement as a trusted source for this type of information. So we partner with about 15,000 or so, just over 15,000 law enforcement agencies all around the country and in the territories. Uh, but we've also done more recently working with some affinity groups, some certain church groups, uh, the National African American Gun Association, groups like that that will carry the child safe message forward to their members that we may not be able to reach or that may not be aware of us. Um, so it's a great program. Again, projectchildsafe.org has tremendous assets, video assets, checklist, parents guide to safety and mental health issues, suicide prevention, uh, materials. Uh, again, not necessarily the most comfortable topics, but certainly important topics. Um, and uh, something that we're very, very proud of the, the the last 25 years and the 40 million safety kits we've given away. 
Yeah, and um, it's it's kind of I, I grew up sort of around firearms, but my parents never um, owned them. I remember going to my uncle's house one time, and he had that kind of stereotypical just like glass case with all of his hunting rifles and shotguns in it. You know, that was not locked, which is a perfect segue into I wanted to talk just a little bit about, um, let's say, you know, you're a, a new gun owner or maybe you're somebody who's hunted for a long time and you've got kids now and they're at, at that age, three, four, five, where they're able to really start getting into stuff. And maybe you haven't thought about um, how you store your firearms. You know, maybe you were just a single guy or a gal who had them in your closet. Um, what are kind of the basics of uh, firearm safety with kids in the house? Where should they start? Um, well, I can start with this one, and then maybe Jared could chime in and, and pick up where I where I've missed something. But first of all, never underestimate the ability for a child, even as young as two or three, to find things that you think are hidden. So what we tell people is if you think that storing your, your handgun uh, on the top shelf of your uh, bookcase, uh, guess again, because the, the, the child is maybe likely to find it. And what I, I can tell you what worked for me um, as a gun owner, as a, as a young parent uh, back now, you know, 30 to 5 years ago, but I tried to remove the curiosity factor. That is, I try to demystify this secret place where dad keeps his stuff, right? And that would be include guns or other things uh, that kids could get into. So I, I try to, when I went to the range to shoot in a competition, I would bring the kids. And I would slap on a set of headphones, you know, earmuffs. Uh, and I remember my youngest sitting in a stroller, you know, while I was out there competing in a three-gun match or a sportsman's team challenge or a, whatever it was that I was doing. So it gave them kind of um, a cultural peek into what dad did on his weekends. Uh, and then by the time both of my son, now my daughter was a little bit older, but my sons, um, they were 10 and 11 when I got them on the trap field. So, again, an age where curiosity is, is really when they have the physical strength to do something about that curiosity. So I wanted to demystify it as best I could. So, you know, A, keeping the guns locked for sure. Whether it's a cable lock, whether it's a, a lock box, whether it's a, a gun safe, that I think is is mandatory if you have children in the house or you expect children in the house. And I'll just tell you one one story about this. Um, when I was, this is now forty years ago. I was I was on a pistol league, shooting in competitions every week uh, here in Connecticut. And one of the, the captain of our team, great guy, was a toolmaker at the at the company I worked for. Um, his neighbor came to his house took his handgun away without him knowing it and used the handgun to die by suicide. Now, again, 40 years ago, as you said, keeping guns locked was not necessarily in vogue. This man didn't have children in the house, so he would live by himself, I think, and it didn't really think much, but this his neighbor wanted to die by suicide, and he used this handgun. So it changed not only my worldview about gun storage, but it changed his life forever. Because he felt bad, he you know it's something that regret that he felt was was awful. So it, there is a real practical side of this thing, and um, we just try to make people think. Just think. There are options. Think about what's best for your situation, but never underestimate what kids are likely to get into, or even a neighbor in this case. So um, 
it's a sad situation, but it, it's, it's something that we have to deal with. We really do. And Jared, maybe if you could um, share a little bit about what your experience has been like, you have very active hunting daughters. Yeah, well, first of all, I think Joe just nailed that question because that's the very similar to the approach I took was to remove the curiosity. Um, you know, I, we've always viewed firearms as they're a tool. Um, it's no different than how I taught my kids to avoid uh, an electrical outlet, my chainsaw, a hot stove. Um, you know, it's just things that there there can be a danger there if we're not using them properly and you're not old enough. And so, um, you know, there was a there's a and, and I wanted to hit on real quick. I have some of your locks and I still use them even inside the gun case. I take that extra step. Maybe I'm doing too much. But the way I've always viewed the firearms in my house is they're my responsibility. And um I take it really seriously, whether there's laws that require me to or not, I'm going to lock everything up. The ammunition is stored separately under lock and key. And I think the other thing that's always concerned me as a parent is kids that come to my house that are not my kids that, mm -hmm. you know, end up in the basement messing around, you know, and, and they, they find a locked gun cabinet. I want my kids to be able to steer them away from, hey, you don't mess around in there, um, even though they're locked. And, and the other thing is when my kids go to somebody else's house, you know, I have to I have to trust and I have to build that into my kid because the reality is that homeowner might not take the same precautions I take. Um, and so I want them to have a healthy fear, um, if you want to put it that way, of a, of a firearm as a tool. So, um, and then it was really just introducing them to them, you know, as soon as I could, you know, shooting BB guns and pellet guns and just kind of graduating up. And I can share a story later about where I messed up a little bit there on my oldest daughter um, <laughs> with, with turkey hunting, trying to get her going a little soon, but. Mm -hmm. Um, I wanted to, so something that you mentioned uh, with uh, your kids going to somebody else's house, can you give us kind of like a general, like how that conversation goes? Like, what did, what did you say? Like, did, you know, if, if you're at your friend's house and they have a, a gun, a firearm, you know, is it call me? Is it just leave? Like, what's, what is that conversation like? Yeah, I think uh, all those things. Right. Um, it, and, and that's probably a little bit age dependent too. Um, you know, obviously little kid, you know, this, it, it is more of a fear, like, let's stay away from that, get out of that room, get away from that. Um, you don't know if it's locked, you don't know if it's loaded, um, you know, it, and, and then it's obviously respect of other people's space. And so, you know, if sometimes if you're in a place where that is, maybe you're in the wrong place in the house too. And so we obviously kind of start that early, but I would say, yeah, you know, it, it's more of, you know, remove yourself from the the uh, potential um, accident, and and then you know if there's other kids in the room, get them out too. You know, even if it's the the homeowner's kids, you know. And then honestly, probably for me, I would I would probably try to address that with that homeowner and and yeah. get them some locks from Joe's crew. You know, because uh, I think you know I taught hunter safety for many years, and you always tell people you know accidents. That's why we call them accidents, right? We have safeties on guns, but safeties can fail. So, you know, you have a finger, you have this safety, you have this safety. And so uh, that assumption that kids won't get into something or won't make a mistake. And the reality is that mistake is something we can't take back. And it, and to Joe's point, it can change trajectory of a bunch of people's lives. And it can be really prevented by a simple lock and a simple couple steps. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if you don't mind, I'd love if we just, if you share a little bit about that story with your daughter, because I think it is hard to know like what at what age do you have what conversations you know some some of that getting into some of those details would i think be helpful for people to know yeah and i'll kind of tie it into that story i think 
you know, I, I'm a firm believer that parents um, know, know best for their children and, and know what maturity level they're at and, and when you can introduce them to a firearm or anything else. Just like I got to make that decision when it's okay for my daughter to start helping with the chainsaw, you know, um, and we're going to go through all the safety prep and all the PPE and all the equipment that she needs to do that. But um, so I do think it's somewhat um, age appropriate, but I think for her, you know, you can imagine Gilbert growing up in our family. Um, we spend a lot of time in the woods and my oldest daughter, she's 13 now going on 14. You know, she just wanted to be in the woods. She wanted to hunt. She wanted to, I remember one time I was bringing her home from soccer practice. We, we uh, scheduled spring soccer practice, which is a mistake. I'll never make again because they play on Saturdays and you know, that's the one time you can get them out. But, um, and she, she was asking when she could go hunting. And, and I said, well, you know, you're still kind of young and well, can I shoot a squirrel? And, you know, she broke down in tears because she wanted to feed the family. I mean, she just grew up in that culture. Like that's what we eat. And she knew how excited we got. So um, I was trying to temper that with her maturity level and when she could handle a firearm. And, and so what happened, you know, four tens became legal in Kansas for, for spring turkey hunting. And, you know, I'm a big supporter of that, you know, for small frame people, for children. And when I looked at my daughter from a stature wise, she was just fine taking the recoil of that, of that 410. Um, no issues with it. We use the great sound muffling headphones, um, you know, so we can talk and we can talk through a shot, but when that shot goes off, it, it muffles. But what I wasn't ready for, so we took her out, we shot that and, you know, she shot it fine. It didn't, didn't, um, hurt her by any means, but she didn't, she didn't want to go again. She's like, I don't think I'm ready. And I'm like, okay, well, we'll wait till next year. But what I should have done, and I realized now was it wasn't the recoil. It wasn't any kind of a pain. It was just the, she's a bow hunter. So she shot a bow a lot and there's just not something happens when you pull the trigger. There's like a, there, there's a bang. There's a, there's, there's this energy release that you don't feel as much with a bow. And so what I should have done was I should have started her, you know, with that 22 with it, like a lower cal, you know, like 22 or something. Um, before we went up to that 410 with that kind of still shot kind of aiming and, and that's what we did we just backed up to a little cricket rifle and said let's shoot this and get because she just shot a bb gun up to that point so i missed a progressive step i think is what i'm saying i should have went from that bb gun where there's very little noise very little recoil to like a 22 where there's a little bit more you know and she could see success from hitting the target and then we went up to the 410 and as soon as we did that that was it. I mean, the next year she was ready to go and she's been, you know, killing turkeys since with the 410 and a, and a bow. So, you know, I think it was, I guess the point of it is stature is one thing, mental, you know, um, maturity is another thing, gun safety, all those things, all those things go into as a parent, as I'm taking them out, I want it to be an enjoyable experience, but it's darn well going to be safe and not just for her, for me and anybody else that goes with us. And so um, there's a lot of things that go into it. And when our kids are ready for certain guns and if there's anything i see sometimes it's maybe maybe kids getting into introduced a little bit more gun than they probably should be or they're ready for and maybe even just from a stature standpoint so that's something that you know it was a mistake on my part and, and i won't make it with my my second daughter she'll benefit from my mistake that's parenting right <laughs> yep it's um it's those four tens i have a little single shot four ten that i use for squirrel hunting and I forget every time that I take it out, it it actually is pretty loud and it kicks pretty hard. And it always surprises me, you know, the first time I shoot it after it, you know, not using it for a couple months, I'm like, oh wow, like this little this little gun has a has a little bit of a kick. And um that's definitely uh I, I've heard similar things from a number of people who, you know, maybe they 
they took their kid out when they were six or seven um, and gave them a, a 410. And it was a really negative experience because they didn't have that, um, that sort of acclimating process. Um, I, Joe, did you have anything you wanted to add to that? Yeah, I find that um, between my sons and my daughter, there definitely was a difference in terms of, well, I started my son's shooting trap with a 20-gauge. Uh, we had the Mossberg Bantam, so it was it was basically a short stock, a shorter forearm. And when the boys were 10 and 11, or 10 or 11, I forget now exactly, but they were on that, on that same age, about the same time physically, they were about the same size at that age. They were okay with the 20-gauge, and they really didn't have any issue. My daughter, on the other hand, was much more recoil shy on the 20 gauge. So I waited with her until she was much older. And then I got her out with a 28 gauge, her and my daughter-in-law uh, with a 28 gauge. Uh, and uh, that was, I think that made a big difference. Uh, but the boys now, I mean, they're they're both avid shooters uh, and quite accomplished trap and skeet and sporting clay shooters. Uh, but they were okay with the 20 gauge recoil when they were breaking a target. My daughter, on the other hand, was just a little bit different, and that's just, you know, the physical stature, the noise, whatever it was, but that's okay. My my biggest fear, and I, what, I, what I see with some people, as you say, they, they start with too much gun, whether it be for a, a smaller statured person, a, a young person, a female, they start with too much gun because that's what I use, so you should use this too. That could turn people off. Before, you know, you'll lose them as a potential uh, shooting or hunting advocate uh, before you even get them started. So it's best to start small and work your way up as they develop the tolerance for the noise, the recoil, um, and all that stuff. So it's just a question of being kind of a little bit smart with 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 that. And everyone's different. Like every my I said, my boys were okay, but my daughter not so much. And she and she's old. She was older than them. So it's just you just have to work it through carefully and thoughtfully, much like you deal with your secure storage, right? It's 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 individual based upon your your circumstances. Uh, there is not a one size fits all. And I could I'll just just make this last point on this is I was called to testify in front of a subcommittee of the, the Senate in D.C. about a year and a half ago about mandatory federal safe storage laws for guns. And my testimony was basically, look, we support and advocate for secure storage more than anybody. But do I think there should be a one-size-fits-all federal mandate? I do not. I think there are education programs that are far more effective in getting people to conform their their behaviors or their personal storage habits that would be more effective than some government mandate. So um, it, it, sound, it may sound like it's contradictory in, in a way. But like you said, parenting is personal. I believe that I know what's best for my personal situation, and I don't want to judge what might work for somebody else or might not work for somebody else. So uh, we certainly support and advocate. We put our money where our mouth is in terms of secure storage, but I just don't think there should be a federal mandate on this on this particular topic. Yeah. So I'll just – yeah. Um, that is a great dovetail into um, – there's – I'm like, there's so many good like little things that I would love to to follow in this conversation, but um, I wanted to talk a little bit about Hunt Safe um, because we've kind of been touching on those um, and a, a quick uh, story. A, a very good friend of mine um, who is kind of a mentor to my wife. She grew up in in um, in Arkansas in a Oh shoot! What's that town? It's like the famous duck hunting town in Arkansas. Um, I feel like it starts with an S. Stuttgart. Stuttgart, yeah. So she grew up in Stuttgart. 
um, you know, grew up on the river. Her family had uh, a little island on the Arkansas River. Um, and, you know, so she was like very exposed to hunting culture growing up. Um, and one of her sons um, had come, went on a hunting trip uh, with a friend and they had come back. And as they're walking up to the house, he was carrying his um, shotgun on his shoulder and accidentally shot his friend behind him as they're walking up to the house. And unfortunately, his friend died from uh, that incident. And, um, you know, there's just so I, I wanted to to talk about Hunt Safe and like what that pro program is and also just, you know, talking about kids, introducing kids to hunting, but also, you know, maybe your friends who are new to hunting that you want to take out hunting, you know, how do you start those conversations about um, muzzle direction or like things like that? Or maybe you're out with somebody who is an experienced hunter, but has very poor um, muzzle control, you know, like how do you bring up those, those conversations um, or, you know, I don't know. That was something I wanted to to maybe explore, and and I'll, I'll let whoever wants to take that first go. Well, um, I can I can jump in there. What I what I tell particularly the new the new shooters or new hunters that I go out with is, look, I want to go home with the same number of holes in my body that I that I came out with here. So um, let's be careful. Like so, we stress we stress muzzle control and tr and trigger discipline. Those are things that we absolutely talk about all the time and then there's another one that i'd like to really point out that a lot of people may not immediately think about it is what's beyond that target what's beyond the game you're shooting at because i've seen and i've been in like on pheasant hunts where the guy standing next to me gets peppered in the face because the guys down below were shooting at a bird that then they didn't they were so into the moment they didn't see us standing on the ridge above them so you know, knowing and being aware of your surroundings is absolutely crucial. And and that is all part of the Hunt Safe program is, you know, the, of course, SAFE, S-A-F-E is an acronym, you know, regarding secure storage, always, you know, practice firearm safety, focus on your responsibility as a gun owner, and education is the key, right? So those are, that's an acronym, but really the second, the A, always practice firearm safe, uh, handle firearms safely, that's crucial because whether you're, I mean, We've all seen it, right? We've been out in the field. A guy jumps in the pickup truck with his loaded shotgun heading mm. to the next spot. I'm like, whoa, 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 unload. Well, yeah, but the safety's on. Don't tell me about safeties. It's a mechanical device. Any mechanical device can fail. Unload in a truck, crossing a fence. You ha this is why good mentorship is so crucial to the, to the sport, whether it's, again, hunting or shooting sports, is getting good, responsible mentors to educate folks in the proper way. Now, obviously, there's a great online, there's great online resources, IHEA, other organizations. Uh, I'm not, I'm not certainly not disparaging that. But to me, I was always a hands-on learner. So having somebody take me out and show me the ropes, so to speak, was always more effective than looking at a textbook or a, taking a class or or whatever. I, I like to get my hands on it, and so so. The pl our plus one program uh, is a mentorship program which talks about these very things. Get someone out that's new, teach them the right way, uh, and these are some of the tips that I use when I, when I actually mentor other folks.
Hey guys, this is Aaron with The Hunting Public. Each spring we head to the woods chasing turkeys and one overlooked product that we use religiously is Sawyer permethrin. We've used it for years to keep ticks off of us and it's worked extremely well. We don't like messing around with Lyme disease, Rocky Mountain spotted fever, anything like that. So I would highly recommend if you're a spring turkey hunter spending any time in warmer climates in the outdoors to use Sawyer permethrin. Learn about their advanced insect repellents and family of technical lightweight water filters at Sawyer.com. Bass Pro Shops and the National Wild Turkey Federation stand together to help make a difference for the wildlife and scenic lands that enrich our hunting lifestyle. Since 1973, we have positively impacted more than 22 million acres and invested more than $9 million into wild turkey research, an effort supported by Bass Pro Shops. The restoration of the wild turkey is one of America's greatest conservation success stories, but the work is far from over. Through the continued contributions of partners like Johnny Morris and Bass Pro Shops, the NWTF mission is a movement that is delivering the right conservation work at the right place and at the right scale. Hey y'all, I'm Jason Hart, founder of Nomad Hunting Clothing. At Nomad, we're bringing simplicity and authenticity back to hunting. Whether you hunt to escape your hectic work life, for locally sourced organic meat, or to socialize with friends, to uphold your favorite family traditions, we're with you and we do the same. At Nomad, we understand your gears and investments, so our products are engineered and priced for every hunter, tested in the real world, and designed to last. Hunting is in all of us. Nomad is with you. And uh, I wanted to ask you too, Jared, um, kind of along that, those similar lines, what your experience has been introducing people to hunting? How do you, what, I guess, sort of what methods um, help kind of internalize some of those habits to where it becomes automatic and people don't have to uh, be reminded all the time uh, to practice, you know, muscle discipline, trigger discipline. Well, yeah, I think, um, you know, I think people, especially young people, but, but anybody who's new and wants to absorb something, you know, they, they catch a lot more than we teach them. And so as Joe was, was talking there, you know, I think about that as hands-on and getting them out there. And, you know, I've taught Hunter Ed for, for many years. I haven't recently, but um, got to go with my oldest daughter to, to check that box and got a hundred on her test and just, you know, everything. She's like, well, of course you unload when you go over a fence. And, you know, it is something I took for granted because you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a stickler for that. I'll tell you right now, if you don't have muzzle control around me, we won't go hunting again. You know, mm-hmm. I'll tell you a couple of times, but if it doesn't improve, it's like, you're going to have to clean that up because again, one little mistake and you know, my family doesn't have a dad anymore. So I just, I, it's just not worth it. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think, you know, we could delve into whole hunter education and R3 discussion. But you know, when I think about hunter education or when I started teaching it, I saw it start to pivot to more of that hands-on. And so there's always that longer field day. And I know a lot of the ones that we're involved with, the kids, you know, the guns are made safe, a lock's put through the chamber, they're, you know, they put a piece of tape on it, but those kids carry that gun through different obstacles, you know, through, through a course and that, you know, and we're watching that, that muzzle control, we're watching it and we'll stop them and go, Hey, you just shot your friend, you know, and they're like, Whoa, you know, it just doesn't register. And again, it's those things that we kind of maybe grew up with because we had a good mentor, but. The other thing I think about since we're kind of focusing on firearms is the things that we don't think maybe are barriers to people coming into the sport. Joe said it earlier, even just shooting a gun, we want it to be enjoyable. So, you know, that progression that I messed up a little bit, you know, make sure you work through that progression. You don't have to start with a 12 gauge to go shoot a turkey, right? You you can start shooting a little 22 until you get comfortable and move to that 410. And maybe the first turkey you shoot with a 410, there's nothing wrong with that. They're very effective when they're, you know, set up right. 
Um, but the other thing is just, you know, th those barriers that we don't think about. Like I remember taking a kid and his dad on their first turkey hunt as part of a mentored uh, program with the state wildlife agency. And his dad just kind of confided in me. He's like, you know, I never went um, turkey hunting or deer hunting because I don't know how to clean. And mm -hmm. he's like, I don't want to look stupid in front of my kid. And I mean, I'm like, well, there's YouTube videos like crazy now, but like we didn't have that, you know, but, but still it's just that hands-on still, I want somebody to show me how to do that. So, you know, I took a lot of extra time and show them how to clean that turkey. And I said, you know, deer is a little different, but um, you know, so I think from a firearm perspective, I hate to, I would hate to see somebody not get into hunting specifically because they're afraid of a firearm. And, you know, that takes me back to, I was raised by a single mom, divorced. I was the baby. Um, and we didn't have guns in our house because he didn't, she was not scared of them, but she had a healthy fear of them. And, you know, she just didn't, didn't know enough about them. And so I had to have a mentor through actually uh, big brothers, big sisters that she trusted that allowed me to start using a firearm. But, but the point was, I mean, if that wouldn't have happened, I might not have been a hunter, might not have been a biologist and conservationist. And, you know, there are people that we have to be cognizant that there's people that grow up in completely different environments than us. And firearms, in their eyes, in many instances, all they see is the negative side of a firearm. And so I always try to think about that when I'm introducing somebody to hunting is that that firearm aspect of it. You know, I want them to see it as an effective tool, you mm -hmm. know, to do to do good, to put food on your table, you know, to have this enjoyable spring morning um, or day in the duck blind or whatever it might be. Yeah, that's a good um, kind of I, I wanted to ask to speaking of the plus one program. Um, if somebody you know is is listening and they they have a desire to be a mentor um where can they start with that and kind of um not just maybe like the the details of of how to sign up but what do they need to i guess who do they need to be in order to be an effective mentor what are the kind of attitudes um that are most helpful um because I've heard some stories of people who go on mentored hunts and they had a mentor who was not very good, who was, uh, you know, made it a negative experience for them. And obviously we want to avoid that. And, and I think everybody who wants to mentor goes in with good intentions, um, but maybe doesn't uh, quite have the skills or, or just some of those pieces of knowledge on, on how to uh, be an effective mentor. Right. Well, one of the things I would I would say about that is when you're going to take someone out on a mentored hunt and you're the mentor or 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 a mentored shoot, right? Whatever that whatever it is, you need to put your needs aside for the moment, for the day, for the hour, whatever it is, uh, and focus on the person you're mentoring. I know when I would go out and shoot trap with my sons, my scores always suffered. Why? Because I spent more time watching their targets, watching their form, watching their setup, watching to make sure they were safe. They loaded only when they're in the port. I mean, all those things. So it distracted me from what I was trying to do was to break as many targets as possible. But I had to. But I knew that going in, and I checked my ego at the door and saying, "Okay, my focus today is watching them, teaching them, mentoring them." My time when I shoot by myself and there's a competition and they're not around. Okay, then I can dial it in and focus. But I think that's what the mentor must must have empathy for that person, right? They're new, they're nervous. Your job as the mentor is to try and allay some of their fears, be there for them, 
and to put aside your needs for that particular hunt or that particular shoot. And I think that's probably the best way I could sum it up. Um, just be there for them and not yourself at that moment. Yeah, once again, really sage counsel. That's exactly what I would say. You know, you have to kind of, it's, it's all about them in that moment. It's number one from that safety perspective. You, you got to be thinking ahead, especially with a kid. Um, you're the one making sure it's, it's extra safe. Um, and, and correcting them if there's there's something wrong, but you know we've talked about it a couple of times. I want it, we want it to be an enjoyable experience. We're, we obviously want them to come back, and I think mentorship. You know, you get to a point in your career or whatever where you just feel this desire to replicate and and you know recreate some more hunter, you know, create some new hunters um, because you just want to share the passion. And so um, I think about what's fun and what's fun for a seven year old is different than a twenty seven year old. You know, a 27-year-old, they might hike all day with me chasing chasing elk in the mountains, but a seven-year-old, you know, there's got to be gummy worms and, you know what I mean? It, it's and, and when they're tired, they're tired. And so you have to learn when do you press into that and when you go teach them patience and go, hey, another hour. So I do the same things, honestly, that I do to myself sometimes when I'm turkey hunting in a spot and I'm not hearing a gobble. I go, ah, I got to give myself another 30 minutes. I'll do that mm -hmm. with my kids. Hey, what do you say we make it 30 more minutes? And we get a target and we leave. And so there, to me, that keying in on that, making it an enjoyable experience and pointing out the things that I enjoy when I'm out there. Did you hear that, you know, prairie chicken booming over there? Did you, you know, watching the, the wildlife, talking about the grasses, talking about, you know, the, the habitat and not just focusing on, hey, we got to kill a turkey or we got to, you know, get a deer today. Uh, if that happens, man, it's just icing on the cake. You know, our, our family kind of has some outdoor experience scale that we always joke about, but number one is we just get to go together. We just get to be together Two, we get to be in the outdoors and God's creation. We get to enjoy that together. Three, we see something. That's a three out of five. Four, we get an opportunity. And five, five out of five, we kill one. But you know what? Lots of days, it's a two. And man, I'm, I'm totally okay with that because we hit the scale. So I think focusing on the experience and not the necessarily always the outcome is, is what I think is important about mentorship. And I think Joe hit on that. You know, again, if, if you, if you serve that other person, you get out of the way, I think it's going to be an enjoyable experience. And lots of times you'll hear, their hear them talking about all the things that you were noticing about it being enjoyable without you even saying anything because you didn't get them. We put that pressure on them sometimes to succeed. And, you yeah, know, that's I think unfair like, to them. I think Jared is 100% is right on that. I think if you set the expectations before you get out to the field and, like, to me, and I'm sure this – I'm not the only one here, but to me the most memorable hunts are the ones where I heard the birds – wake up in the morning. I saw the sunrise. I, you know, the decoys in the mist looked phenomenal. I mean, those, that to me sticks in my mind more than any kill, more than any kill I've had. So maybe setting the expectation with the person you're mentoring, hey, look, we're going to go out there. It's going to be a beautiful day. We're going to set up, you know, lay it out for them step by step. Leave the kill to the, to the very last point because it's called hunting for a reason. It's not called killing. We're not going out killing today. We're going out hunting. And sometimes all of us get skunked, you know, uh, and that's okay because the memories you make, regardless of whether you get a bird or get a deer or get a caribou, whatever you're going for, it doesn't matter if you, if you live in the, in the moment and enjoy the creation around you. That, that to me is, is, is you're spot on with that, Jared, hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. There's, um, I, what, one of the things that, that I've been personally focusing on a lot is um, I finally bought myself uh, an active pair of earmuffs after using the stupid orange earplugs for so long. 
And like the difference that makes in the enjoyment of the experience is just so giant, especially like if you're taking somebody else or like your kid that they're not like wearing around, you know, this giant thing that makes everything sound like you're under a pillow. And that's it. I mean, and we can touch on that too, like hearing protection. That's something that it's so easy to forget about or to you take one out and you don't put it back in because you have an opportunity, et cetera, et cetera. Like, uh, yeah. or you drop it on the ground, it gets dirty and you stick it back in your ear. Yeah. I've been there, done that. I mean, you're right. The, the better, the new, the new technology now with the hearing protection, whether they be muffs or earbuds that have noise canceling technology, um, uh, the, the slim line I, for, for as, a, as a shotgun shooter, the slim line ones are better. Cause I used to, I was bang the, the butt of the gun against the, the larger muff. So I get this, the shot ones that really designed for shotgun shooting. Now I have a little electronic ones that, that, um, are Bluetooth capable, but they're also noise canceling and they shut off when the shot goes off and I can still hear the birds sing. I can still hear my hunting partner speak uh, or whisper. So there's all these new technology things that didn't exist, you know, 40 years ago when I first got into the sport. But but you're right. The technology is great, and it's, it's it makes the enjoyment, it makes the experience more enjoyable, right? It makes it easier to enjoy right out of the gate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think those active noise canceling, I mean, I honestly, they're saving a lot of ears, if I'm being honest. I mean, I think a lot more people would, would wear those you know, will wear those uh, as opposed to, you know, you're a deer hunter, you're, you're listening for that rustle uh, as bow hunter, you know, and, and, or, or a rifle hunter, you're listening for something and, and, you know, you want to hear, you want to enjoy everything around you. So um, yeah. And, and they're just so good for taking kids because I want to, I'm close. I want to have that control. I want to talk them through the shot and they can hear all of that, but they know because we practice with them, man, as soon as that gun goes off, I'm not going to hear it, you know? So it just takes that extra, you know, um, any any fear out of that so yeah they're they're great technology is good in that that area for sure yeah and it's crazy cheap they've become too it's like you can get a a pair of those muffs for 35 40 dollars um it used to i mean even five or six years ago most of the ones that i saw were more like in the 60 dollar range um eventually like my i would love to get like uh you know some tetras or or some of the custom molded ones uh just because those are so cool and i i as a musician too, you know, I was kind of aware of that um, type of in-ear monitors from the music world and to see that technology kind of make the jump to hunting is like, oh, that's so neat. And yeah, I, just would, I would just add one other thing to that. Um, yes, the, the, ear, the hearing protection is crucial. As myself, a fellow musician, I wanted to sur- keep my hearing as long as I possibly could. But I also would also make sure we talk about safety glasses because mm-hmm. I've seen and I've experienced where shot will bounce off a tree uh, and come back um, or you get twigged, you know, walking through the woods. So to the extent you can wear safety glasses or some type of shooting, I, I need glasses anyway. So for me, it's, you know, my prescription glasses for, for hunting and shooting are, are okay. But for those that don't need them, uh, I would definitely make sure you wear shooting glasses when you're hunting or target shooting every time just because i've seen it happen where people get whacked to get pegged you know i had a piece of buckshot come back and and whack me in the in the face and missed my eye by a by a small margin luckily i was wearing glasses but even so it gave me a bloody lip so it would have done some damage so i would just you know make sure i we we stress that importance as well that's a great point i actually had 
I got poked in the eye with a stick mushroom hunting not that long ago. And it kind of just, even with my glasses on, it barely kind of poked into the bottom of my eye mm-hmm. and my eyelid. I was like, oh my God, like that could have been a whole lot worse. And yep. I mean, it might look a little silly if you're out there wearing glasses while you're mushroom hunting, but man, if you're out like pushing through like brush or stuff, anything like it, it's not yep. worth losing an eye over. Yeah, that's like, right. <laughs> um, let's see here. We, uh, oh, we've covered a lot of really good stuff. I guess um, we're getting pretty pretty close to the end of things. Um, Joe, is there anything else that you wanted to touch on before we leave? Well, really, I mean, I think what a lot of people don't realize is that wildlife restoration, habitat restoration, a lot of that is paid for by firearm and ammunition manufacturers, right? The excise tax, you know, um, 90% of the of those funds that come back to the states in the form of wildlife programs uh, dollars come from firearm and ammunition manufacturers. So that's a story that never gets told because no one wants to talk about it. But whether you hunt or shoot or don't, you benefit from this. You benefit from from the the dollars spent on ammunition, firearms, hunting licenses, things like that. So it's part of this North American model that people ought to become more familiar with. I know NWTF knows well about this thing, and the restoration of turkeys in this country is a direct relation to the restoration dollars that came back from the Pittman-Robertson funds, uh, now billions of dollars going into that fund. So that's kind of a... My plug for remembering that hunters and shooters are the ultimate conservationist, and they're paying for it, and it benefits everybody. So, again, maybe a shameless plug for for the industry, but I think they don't get enough credit in this regard. So just wanted to put that out there. Yeah. Oh, and and one more thing, too. Uh, For people who uh, are listening who don't have a a lock on their gun or – um, you know, haven't thought about this, where can they get one? How do they get connected with resources for starting those gun safety steps? Yeah, the first thing to do is go to projectchildsafe.org. It's all one word, projectchildsafe.org. There, uh, all of the materials are free online, the resources, the locks. We do have a list of the partners in your area where you can get child safe locks. Uh, if you can't find one in your area, just contact us. We'll send you one. Um, but we do try to we do try to make sure our distribution model is consistent. That is typically law enforcement or other age, other partners in the area where you are, um, and that's just the, the, our model for the last twenty five years almost. But yeah, productchildsafe.org. All the information you need will be there. How to find a lock and a kit will be there as well. Uh, and if that fails, just call us and we'll figure it out for you. All right, Jared. Do you have any closing thoughts? No, I, I think uh, Joe was speaking my language there with the North American model and, and uh, excise tax, Pittman Roberts. I mean, that's what we do every day in our field is 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 trying to maximize those dollars that come back to the state, put them back on the ground so we can, you know, have quality habitat. So then those mentored hunts and those hunts with your, your kids can happen. And so it is this big full circle. And when you understand that, that's why I encourage people to get involved with the conservation organization, you know, whether it's the NWTF or or one of our other partners, you know, whatever is is near and dear to you, um, because we we really do uh, work hard to put those dollars back out on the ground and, and introduce people to the sport and and to give back something to conservation. You know, for me, I dedicated my life to it. You know, nobody, not everybody has to do that, obviously, but 
but I do think there is a, an opportunity to give back. And even if it's just to go to a banquet, you know, and, and spend a few dollars or, or buy a membership, um, it really, it really does go to, to a good cause and it helps us partner with, with folks like NSSF to make sure that we have projects child safe and we have um, things like that. So um, just, again, appreciate the partnership, appreciate the opportunity to jump on here, Gilbert. Absolutely. And, and I, I would appreciate just say, if you get a chance, oh. if anyone has a chance to go to the NWTF convention, that's a real treat. I will tell you, uh, over my years in the industry, that is that was one of those, th those events were always the highlight of my year because it's so cool to hang out with people are, who are of of like mind, uh, bringing their families to to learn about turkey hunting and the great outdoors. I mean, it's just a terrific. So I, I again, here's a plug for you for NWTF, great organization, great people, and a great event uh, they put on every year. But uh, they they need to bring the old earmuffs. It's a convention, yes. right? Not the, they, yes. they, you, you're going to need them. Yeah. <laughs> Not need, the that, that, yep, that's very sure. true. No, it's, it's, it's a very it is. <laughs> lots of turkey calls. It's a fun time, though. It is. Uh, it's a really neat uh, event for us that we love putting on and love getting to see. You know, just outdoor enthusiasts, but obviously core turkey hunters come and just see all the new gear and, and learn and, and you know share turkey hunting stories. Absolutely. Well, um, I know I'll I'll see you in Nashville, Jared. Um, if I see you in Nashville, Joe, that'd be great. Um, otherwise, it was great chatting with you guys. I really appreciate your time and lending your expertise um, and knowledge on these subjects to us. And uh, oh. we'll have to do it again. Yeah, I appreciate it very much. Again, thanks for giving me, a, giving me the opportunity to speak on these topics. I'm passionate about this thing, as you may have noticed. Uh, and uh, anytime you let me know, I'm happy to join. Hey guys, this is Aaron with The Hunting Public. Each spring we head to the woods chasing turkeys and one overlooked product that we use religiously is Sawyer permethrin. We've used it for years to keep ticks off of us and it's worked extremely well. We don't like messing around with Lyme disease, Rocky Mountain spotted fever, anything like that. So I would highly recommend if you're a spring turkey hunter spending any time in warmer climates in the outdoors to use Sawyer permethrin. Learn about their advanced insect repellents and family of technical lightweight water filters at Sawyer.com. Bass Pro Shops and the National Wild Turkey Federation stand together to help make a difference for the wildlife and scenic lands that enrich our hunting lifestyle. Since 1973, we have positively impacted more than 22 million acres and invested more than $9 million into wild turkey research, an effort supported by Bass Pro Shops. The restoration of the wild turkey is one of America's greatest conservation success stories, but the work is far from over. Through the continued contributions of partners like Johnny Morris and Bass Pro Shops, the NWTF mission is a movement that is delivering the right conservation work at the right place and at the right scale. Hey y'all, I'm Jason Hart, founder of Nomad Hunting Clothing. At Nomad, we're bringing simplicity and authenticity back to hunting. Whether you hunt to escape your hectic work life, for locally sourced organic meat, or to socialize with friends, to uphold your favorite family traditions, we're with you and we do the same. At Nomad, we understand your gears and investments, so our products are engineered and priced for every hunter, tested in the real world, and designed to last. Hunting is in all of us. Nomad is with you.